0: hello everyone welcome back uh as I had mentioned on Sunday I didn't I wasn't feeling politics if you if you missed my last stream I you know kind of had a whole bunch of stuff planned out and in the middle of while I was you know kind of finalizing my outline I was like yeah I'm done with this I you know I was tried not to rant hopefully I didn't rant uh, my wife said I didn't rant but that's what she's supposed to say right um So anyway, but so I said I was going to do a politics live stream tonight, and I'm glad that I waited, to be honest. Um, We had some interesting stuff happen over the last couple days, so that's good. It's also my birthday, and some co-workers, friends, you know, same thing, right? Uh, At least in this case, took me out, uh, so we had some, some drinks and some dinner, so that was good. So it's a birthday politics and whiskey live stream, I'm very excited to do this. Uh, not so much, but that's okay. It's good. I'm, you know, it's good to be talking to you guys about all this stuff. Um, so like I said, on Sunday to to brief everyone who missed my 17 minute, you know, stream of consciousness. You know, I'm kind of just done with the surface level political stuff. Of course, it's relevant, but I started off talking about cultural stuff, and that's what I prefer to talk about. And what's funny is I mentioned that on Sunday is like. You know, I've got some ideas of some stuff I want to talk about this coming Sunday, you know, cultural stuff. And then the Oscar is delivered, right? So I'm excited to get into some of that stuff uh, this coming Sunday. But anyway, but I want to give a rundown on some of my thoughts on some political things. Political derpiness is what I have written here, and that's cool. Uh, I, honestly, I kind of just copy-pasted my outline, you know, the the stuff that I had ready to go that I just kind of called an audible and said, you know, I'm going to do something different. Uh, from this past Sunday, And so I haven't really ran through it that much, to be honest. So, you know, it's, you know, it's my birthday. I'm not super excited to go down the political rabbit hole, but uh, you know, maybe maybe it'll make it more interesting or maybe it'll just uh, be total garbage. So we'll see. that's, you know, that that's the that's the joy of doing these things live. One thing I will say is that this past Sunday, I didn't really get to gloat. I don't know if gloats the right word, but really celebrate. The Chiefs winning the Super Bowl is really exciting. One thing I want, you know, the main thing, I, you know, I had it written here. I'm like, I want to talk about this. It's kind of fun for me. Is that, so the game was a really good game. If you haven't, if you didn't watch it, it was a great game. And at the very end, so like the last, like maybe five to seven minutes. So my daughter is about eight, month, eight months old. She's asleep and she, and I'm holding her. She was crying. She wouldn't be comforted by anything other than me. Uh, which is, you know, kind of a blessing and a curse, right? But it's it was still cool for me. First time dad. And she's, like, nestled in right here, and she's falling asleep, but it's the end of the game. It's the end of the Super Bowl. And so we're watching her on the TV, TV. We've got the volume down a little bit, and I can't, like, celebrate. So I'm, like, holding her, and I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm just, like, so excited, but I can't really, you know, freak out about it. So, but, you know, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. But anyway, it was super cool to watch Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I will say one thing I had predicted uh, before the game was I was like, maybe they're going to freak out about the advertisements. They're not going to be woke enough. I said, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. And, I, and it turned out I was. You know, I think that part of it was that, you know, we're kind of in the middle of a pretty crazy news cycle, right? So the news cycle included the impeachment of Donald Trump that hadn't went through all the way. Um, we also had the... Um, the Democratic primaries and the stuff in Iowa. And so I think part of that was probably, you know, the news cycle. I think if we were in the middle of a dead news cycle, I'm pretty sure that Mother Jones and Vox would have written some stuff about the advertisements at the Super Bowl. But, you know, it's okay. There wasn't a whole lot written. In fact, the controversy was actually over the halftime show. One thing that was interesting about that was, you know, I, I really wasn't watching the halftime show. I was... Instead, I was, I had done a live stream right before the Super Bowl, and so I was uploading it, I was adding all my notes and everything. But I saw that it was Shakira and JLo, and I'm like, you know, whatever. And what's really fascinating to me about that is that, you know, I think both sides of the controversy are a little bit silly. So, I, honestly, the, in terms of there being over sexual halftime shows, that's been going on for a long time. I remember when I was in, I think I might have been in high school, to be honest, with Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, who was approximately 86 years old at the time, and he rips the thing off, and it's her nipple or something, you know, whatever. It's its like people shouldn't be surprised that it's over-sexualized, right? So the conservatives, they were like, oh my gosh, this is a family thing. It's like, since when? You know, like the last, how long has it been, you know, that people have been pushing the the boundaries on this, you know, so that shouldn't surprise you, but at the same time, you know, I watch uh, the response from the people who get all up in arms about that response, and, you know, there. I read this article, I think it was on NBC, about how, well, this is just about how people don't want to empower moms, and they are opposed to moms being uh, sexual beings, and it's like, is that really, you know, like, people don't want their their kids to watch J-Lo doing a strip tease on a pole? You know, is that really someone being opposed to moms? I'm pretty sure every dad that was watching it is not opposed to moms being sexual, right? You know, it's like, that's how their kids got there. So I I think that's a little bit of a disingenuous criticism. So I think both sides are being a little silly. I think that the, the people on the right who were like, Oh my gosh, the Super Bowl halftime show is sexual. Since when? It's like, well, you know, since like the past two decades, dude. Come on. And then the people on the left that were... You know, whoa, I, this is all being about against moms, and there's nothing, no harm done here. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true. You know, Pornhub, you know, the Pornhub actually releases some interesting statistics. I'm a I'm a data guy, I like facts, I like data, I like statistics. And they release interesting statistics. And right after the halftime show, their searches for JLo went up by 381%, and their searches for Shakira went up by Uh, 1,400%. So, the people who say there was no effect from this, I think that's a bit naive, and they probably know it. You know, it's like, well, we want to empower women, and we want to empower moms. It's like, okay, so, you know, is your idea of empowerment a bunch of dudes immediately after the halftime show or going and searching on Pornhub so that they can pleasure themselves? Is that really empowerment? You know, but again, at the same time, the other people who were... You know, so surprised that there was some sexuality to the halftime show. I think was a little bit silly, and it's like, well, you know, how are you really surprised by this? Uh, anyway, so that's my that's my thoughts on the Super Bowl. You know, like I said, I thought that there was going to be more to the response to the advertisements. Honestly, I thought the advertisements were decent. One, th- the only articles I really read was there was a bunch that were like people were over the divisiveness, and they they wanted to see more unity in the country, and that's what the advertisements were trying to do, and I thought that was pretty cool that people at least acknowledged that, you know, of course, those same media outlets will still then again release stuff that contributes to the divisiveness, but, you know, credit where credit's due, even if it's for 45 seconds, uh, anyway, so Super Bowl, go Chiefs, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens next year, but it, it was, it was incredibly exciting, I'm still super pumped about a super jazzed, I'll be wearing my, you know, all my Chiefs attire during casual Friday every single day at work. I don't care. It's, it's awesome. Super, super fun. Okay, so here's where we're going. We're going to talk politics. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And, you know, honestly, there is some utility. You know, I kind of was ragging on it last time, and I do want to get into the deeper cultural stuff, but politics is where we can observe some of the effects, I guess, of some of that cultural stuff. So it's still, there's utility there, um but it's just not as useful as looking at the underlying social currents that contribute to those same divides. So one of the things I said last week is if it seems like people are petty and childish and divided in the political sphere, well, politics is downstream from culture. And so that means that our culture is petty and divided right now. And so if we want it to change, then that's that's on us. We have to change as a culture. That's one of the things I talked about. So as much as I do rag on politics, it's a good way to observe at least some of the effects of where we're at socially, culturally, etc. So anyway, so that's where we're going to touch on some stuff briefly. Here's where we're going. Like I said, I haven't looked at these notes for a couple days. Uh, hopefully it's coherent, but we're going to briefly touch on impeachment. Can you even remember that? Can you, honestly, what's crazy right now is it's like I, the, the impeachment should have been like the biggest story of maybe the last year and a half. And I, it's, does anyone even really remember that? Is that even in like the top five things that you remember of the last uh, couple weeks even? Um, it's, of course not, of course not. So but we're going to briefly touch on that. I've got some headlines I want to talk about, but it'll be, I'll keep it short, I promise. I want to talk about the State of the Union a little bit. I mentioned it uh, last on Sunday, the State of the Union, but there's some stuff there. I think it's at least worth talking about, even, even though we won't spend much time there. And then we'll get to the, the meat of it. Uh, or the the turd of it, depending on your perspective, which is the Democratic primaries. It's a mess right now, although it is interesting uh, in terms of kind of giving us a bit of a reflection of where the Democratic Party is right now. And not, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but at the same time it's still interesting and it's kind of fun to watch, uh, to watch the whole thing dissolve. And then I'll give you kind of my thoughts on what I'm expecting going forward, where I think they're at, what I think is going to happen, at least leading up to the convention. Again, predictions are meaningless, this is all meaningless, but it's still fun to do, I guess, right? Uh, to some degree. So, on the impeachment, again, remember that? Like, that was not that long ago, and no one really remembers it. We're, we're talking about the, the dumpster fire in Iowa instead. Um, but... The impeachment, one thing I thought would be interesting is just to, I'm going to read you some headlines. So I went through and I just kind of copy pasted some headlines chronologically from NBC, Huffington Post, Vox, Vice, NPR, CNN. And gave, this is how the, the impeachment was being reported. And then I'll kind of give you some brief thoughts on it, you know, about Romney and all that stuff. So here's here is the impeachment according to the mainstream media sources, right? And there's a reason why there's no MSNBC or Fox News in here. Again, uh, I'll say it, I've said it before, I'll keep saying it, I don't really MSNBC doesn't really bother me, neither does Fox, because both of them are pretty open about their biases. You know, Fox used to say fair and balanced, and they don't anymore, and, and kudos to them for not saying it. Now when they were saying it, that's that's dishonest, right? Like, they weren't fair and balanced whenever they were saying that. Fox News has always been right-wing, And so it's like that's a little bit disingenuous, but good for them for no longer touting fair and balanced as their slogan. So Fox News doesn't bother me. Fox News and MSNBC are kind of like the yin and yang, in my opinion. You know, it's like Tucker Carlson, right? And then Chris Matthews. And they're, they're both kind of two sides of the same coin and they're open about their biases. The reason why I include like NPR and CNN and NBC in here is because they're not open about their biases. I don't care if people are biased. I just want them to be open about their biases. So lo- as long as these news entities are not being open about it, that's why I think their headlines are interesting because there's still a lot of people that will see these headlines, that will see the way these these news uh, outlets are reporting on things. And they're like, well, you know, that's, that's just their fair and unbiased opinion, it's like, no, 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 that's not true. This is, you know, Tucker Carlson, Chris Matthews, two sides of the same coin, right? Don Lemon, different story, he's also biased, but he's not as open about it as those other two guys. I'm going to take a quick sip here of my whiskey beverage. Okay, so here's the headlines. First one, an impeachment trial with no witnesses and no evidence is very American. Nadler, referring to Jerry Nadler, calls Trump a dictator on the Senate floor. Republicans defeat Democratic bid to hear witnesses in Trump trial. No witnesses in impeachment trial. Senators vote. Schiff's powerful closing speech. Is there one among you who will say enough? God, Adam Schiff, such a hero, right guys? Not guilty. Trump acquitted on two articles of impeachment as historical trial closes. Trump is a would-be dictator. A broken system acquitted Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell is Mitch McConnell's new legacy is impeachment trial rigor for Donald Trump. Trump's acquittal shows the GOP Senate acts like a cult. They're a cult now. Trump weaponizes the presidency after impeachment. So a couple things here. First off, this is why people hate the media, right? All of all of those headlines with the exception of I think the NPR one which was like acquitted, you know, not guilty. The rest of them are that's called editorializing, right? So, editorializing is where you insert your opinion into the story. So, if the story is Mitch McConnell did you know he was not in favor of convicting Donald Trump, that's the that's the facts. Editorializing is he rigged it. He's a, he's a rigger. Can you believe Turtle McConnell did that? Dude looks like Fra- uh, Franklin the Turtle, for sure. Those are pretty funny memes. Anyway, so those are all editorial. So people that don't like the mainstream media, that's why. That's why. And one thing that I do like about the primaries, I'm teasing a little bit going forward, but is that they're exposing the insane media bias. I w- the, the, the idea of this biased media entity... or or monster, really, is not something I was super keen to, that I really, I thought it was kind of like a thing that just conservatives or people on the right said, until I was like, no, this makes sense. And really, the the bias against Bernie Sanders in 2016 is what woke me up to that. And hopefully there are people on the left that are waking up to that now as they're seeing the media does not want Bernie Sanders to be in there. And so the idea that the media is unbiased, of course, is completely ridiculous. But anyway, so those are all editorialized headlines. So that's why people don't like it. Here's the other thing that I'll say about the impeachment. This is probably one of the main things that matters is that all of those things that were like, no witnesses, no, no witnesses. Can you believe it? This is all rigged. There no witnesses. No, no, no. No additional witnesses is the important caveat. There were 17 witnesses called in the House of Representatives. So the House of Representatives, that's where they gather evidence, they gather, they build the case and they vote to impeach. They say there's enough witnesses or there's enough evidence. That's one of the things that they said. There is overwhelming, over, damning evidence, right? And so the House votes and they say, we think there's enough here that the president should be removed from office. And then the Senate it votes on it again. It has to be two thirds. So you need 67 votes in the Senate to remove the president from office but all the fact finding is done in the house and they called 17 witnesses. Now they didn't call any witnesses that the GOP minority wanted called in the house. Right. But they did call their own witnesses. So whenever the media reports, well, there's no witnesses. Can you believe it? Can you believe how horrible this is? Well, that's a bunch of crap. They called witnesses in the, uh, the house of representatives trial. And so one would think, so again, think about this in, in like any other, Judicial like trial type setting right is you gather the evidence and you have enough where there might be some type of jury or, or enough of plurality or majority of votes which is what happened in the house right where they say there is enough again quote overwhelming or damning evidence to convict and which means to remove Donald Trump from office and the house says yes and then they send it over to the Senate because we have two chambers two houses in our legislature And they send that over and that the Senate then votes on it. So, but there, the idea is that the house is supposed to gather sufficient evidence, sufficient witnesses, sufficient testimony, all that stuff in order for them to send it to the Senate, right? If the house votes and says, well, we think there's enough here, then there's no argument for, well, we need more in the Senate. Well, if there's enough for the house, which has way more people in it, you have to convince more people, then you don't need more for the Senate. Right, so whenever the, the media said, "Well, there's no witnesses," well, that's a bunch of crap. They did it's no additional witnesses, right? So anyway, that when, when someone talks about that going forward again, people don't even remember that that happened. If someone talks about the witnesses, it's not that there were no witnesses. It's that there were no additional witnesses in the Senate, which there shouldn't be. If there was enough evidence in the Senate for them or in the House for them to vote to impeach and send it to the Senate, then there should have been enough for the Senate to vote which is what they did. Okay, two things on impeachment, and then we'll go past it. Quick word on Romney. There is a lot of people who are crapping on Romney for his vote um, to convict Trump on the abuse of power. Now, first off, I will say on the front end, I do not agree with that vote. I think that it's a silly vote. And the fact that he voted on that and not on the Congress thing, which I think both of them are are silly. Um, I I don't agree with his vote. But at the same time, the people that are saying that Romney is now... this this new moderate, or or the people on the right who are saying he's a a left-wing, he's a Democrat now, Romney has consistently voted with Republicans on everything, probably close to 100% of the time. So for people to crap on Mitt Romney for that, I think, is silly. Now again, I think it was a petty vote, to be totally honest. I think that that vote was silly. I don't understand it. But on another level, I do understand it. So think about this. This This is all I'll say about it. So Mitt Romney ran in 2012, right? So Mitt Romney, the dude is a Mormon guy. He's, you know, supposedly supposed to be this kind of pure as a driven snow, moral kind of guy, religious candidate. And, And he lost. Mitt Romney lost pretty handily to Barack Obama in 2012. So he was the Republican nominee, and he did not do well. All right, who is the next Republican nominee Everything that's the opposite of Mitt Romney, pure as diff- driven snow. Instead, you have Donald Stormy Daniels McTrump, right? Like, that guy coming down the escalator. Donald Trump is the opposite of Mitt Romney in a lot of ways. And also, Donald Trump's been pretty antagonistic towards Mitt Romney, and vice versa, too. So you can't really blame Mitt Romney for having some kind of animus and, you know, not really loving Donald Trump. That's what I'm saying here. So even though I think his vote is petty, I get it. You know, I think that all of us should work really hard to fight that part of ourselves. Mitt Romney, I think, lost that fight to the the petty part of himself whenever he voted in that way. But if that's what he honestly believes, you know, that's fine. And, you know, you can you can give him criticisms on the merits of the vote, but to say that he's some left-wing Democrat now, I think that's silly, you know. And to say that he's going to be in danger if he goes to CPAC, you know, that, all of that I think is silly. So, crapping on Mitt Romney for voting, you know, in a way that, again, I think was petty and I disagree with, but I understand, right? I think that saying he's a left-winger, I think, is silly. Here's the other thing, you know, a quick word on Joe Biden about all this. Um, one of the things that I did watch during the impeachment and afterwards, and it was pretty, pretty informative, pretty interesting, um, was the, the podcast that Ted Cruz did, Verdict with Ted Cruz. And one thing I've said for a couple of years now is that whatever software update Ted Ted Cruz got after the 2016 Republican nomination process has been great. Like, Ted Cruz has been hilarious since then. Like, he came across as just, you know, you really would think that he was um, some type of sociopath. But, you know, he grew a beard, and now he's kind of interesting, and he's funny on Twitter. Um, So good for him. But anyway, but I watched that verdict with Ted Cruz, and one of the things that he said consistently during that podcast uh, that I did not like was he was like, this is about Joe Biden's corruption. This is about Joe Biden's corruption and the potential of Joe Biden being corrupt there. And, and I'll be honest, this is one of the things I said a, a couple weeks ago, and I'll stand by this. I'm, I'm, I'll take all the criticism that comes from this, which I have. But whenever all the stuff was going on with Hunter Biden and Burisma in Ukraine, Joe Biden was dealing with the last days of his son Bo Biden's life. Bo was dying of a protracted cancer diagnosis. I mean, it was not good. And really, Bo was the son that was, he was the good son. He made good decisions. He was a veteran. And Bo was dying. Um, and it was, again, it was a long, drawn-out thing. And so, at the height of the stuff with Burisma, one of the things that was touted by the right was, well, whenever someone from the Obama administration brought the idea of a conflict of interest um to joe biden he said well i don't have enough i don't have time to deal with that and they made that made it seem like that joe biden must have been corrupt based on that and i think that's absolutely absurd joe biden didn't have time because he was dealing with the death of his good son so imagine your son who's not a screw-up is dying and your son who is a screw-up someone's coming to you and saying hey your screw-up son is screwing up in a big way We don't really know, but this could appear bad. You know, you're going to go, I don't, I'm not going to deal with that. Okay. Because I'm not happy with that son, but he's about to be the one I have left. Right. And so unless there is really good evidence that Joe Biden was overtly corrupt, that he was overtly doing something that was against the interest of the country, then I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that for... Republicans and for people on the right to not do that in this case and just say, well, he said that he was too busy to deal with it. What's that? What's he hiding? He's hiding the fact that his son was dying. Okay, don't be a dick about this unless there's over evidence and they're doing investigations right now. So maybe they'll find it. But unless there's overt evidence, I'm going to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt. Have you seen him? He's fallen apart. He had to bury his kid not that long ago. So I mean, it might be an unpopular opinion. But I'm not really interested, again, unless there's overt evidence and trying to figure out if Joe Biden was corrupt and all this. I think there's enough evidence and enough reason for there to be investigations into corruption generally without dragging Joe Biden into what was probably one of the worst um, times of his entire life, which was the death of his son, Beau. Okay, so... Unpopular opinion, but I don't care. Give the guy the benefit of the doubt. He's already falling apart in front of the entire world right now in this presidential race. Bringing up the fact that his son was dying of brain cancer is, I think, is just absolutely unforgivable. And I, I'm not super happy with the fact that that's being touted. Oh, he didn't have enough time. Well, his son was dying. Okay, shut up. I don't care about what software upgrade you've had, Ted Cruz. It's not cool to just mention that and not the fact that Bo is dying. So i'd rather just leave joe biden alone we have enough there without you know dredging up those memories leave the guy alone leave him in peace anyway okay so that's impeachment one thing i will say going forward so here's the potential stuff with impeachment going forward first off impact on 2020 not much i don't think to be honest the news cycle is so crazy right now it is billy bonkers bananas and all the other alliteration words it's nuts so I, I don't think there's going to matter that much. There Now, there could be the potential. So uh, Bolton's book comes out in March, and maybe there'll be something there. You know I wouldn't be totally caught off guard if there was all these bombshells that had to do with the impeachment. They came out you know in October, early November, something like that. And I guess the voting's on November, uh, the very beginning, I don't remember, 5th, 12th, something like that. And anyway, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't expect there to be much, to be honest. I think that... This is going to be pretty dead in the public mind. And here's how you know again, do you even remember that there's an impeachment? Like, to be honest, am I the only one? Am I the only one? Like, I seriously went back and was writing this out and looking at it. I'm like, impeachment. And I really wrote, I'm like, do you remember that? Like, seriously? This wasn't that long ago, but it seems like it was approximately 12 years ago. Uh, so I don't think it'll have that much impact. Now, the one thing that could make it interesting is if a senator gets the nomination from the Democratic side, so that's Amy Klobuchar, that's Bernie Sanders, that's Elizabeth Warren. If a senator gets the nomination, then Donald Trump will be running against a person who voted to remove him from office in the Senate, right? Because all the Democrats voted for impeachment during that trial. So that could make for some interesting argument, you know, some interesting points. Um, I'm not sure that you could consider that impact per se, Uh, but at the same time, it's something to look for. I think there's a decent chance that one of those three gets the nomination, uh, not Warren, so one of those two gets the nomination. Um, But either way, it'd be, you know, to see Donald Trump up there on their debate stage against someone who voted to remove him from office, I think it'd be pretty interesting. And that's all I'll say there. Uh, Anyway, okay. So that's enough on impeachment, and probably all I'm going to say about it, unless some big bombshell drops. Uh, but I, I don't expect much to happen there. Okay, so State of the Union. talked about this on Sunday. Uh, and, and here's, here's what I'll say about the State of the Union, okay? I talked about the handshake, and there was no handshake, oh my gosh. And then Nancy Pelosi ripped up the speech. Goodness, can you believe it? Uh, yeah, I can believe it. I can believe both sides of it. That's what I talked about. Go back and watch Sunday's stream. If anyone, if you're on the right, or you're on the left, if or basically if you're a person... And you look at that and go, this is petty, this is absurd, and I don't like it. We are to blame. All of that is downstream from us. All of that division is downstream from us. Watch my last live stream, okay? I'm not going to get into it again. Now, one thing I will say about this State of the Union is it was good. It was good. And I felt the same way watching the State of the Union last year, too, to be honest. You know, I'm not... I'm not on the Trump train or anything like that. But to watch that and to deny that it wasn't quality, um, it wasn't inspiring, I think is silly. And that's why a lot of the the media, the people on CNN and MSNBC were saying, yeah, no, this was good television. This was good optics. You know, you remove the handshake, remove the speech rip-up, all that other stuff. It was good. So some of the highlights. So Donald Trump gives a scholarship to an inner city girl who's, you know, school choice is a big thing that people talk about, especially in inner city. This girl, inner city, obviously it's from a black family uh, because it's good optics and probably, you know, I I don't blame people whether they're black, white, whatever for wanting that school choice. Uh, So she gets a scholarship. She can pick a different school. There's a gold star family honoring the death of the father who he was killed in an attack orchestrated, orchestrated by Soleimani. That's a big deal. Trump was able to, ma- he made Space Force look good, which is pretty cool. Um, Space Force is still just so silly and interesting, but whatever. So there's a, there's a, he's talking about Space Force, and he has, there's a kid who's like, this kid's interested in Space Force. He wants to be an astronaut and a pilot, and it turns out his grandpa or great-grandpa, probably great-grandpa, was a Tuskegee Airman. And, uh, he, the dude's like a hundred years old and Trump had promoted him. That was really cool. And, you know, so here's the two things that are interesting to me. You know, I watched the, like I said, I watched the verdict of Ted Cruz and then the Ben Shapiro show. I usually watch that most days. And when I'm watching the, the people on the right, when they're talking about how great the state of the union is and fawning over it, you know, I'm not as drooly over it as they are, but I still thought it was pretty good. You know, they had a big attachment to the stuff with Rush Limbaugh. And one thing I mentioned before is that you know I don't I don't come from the right I don't have a big um, affinity or mental attachment to right wing media I probably visited Fox News's website less than five times in my life no, never wa- like flipped to Fox News on the TV Rush Limbaugh all that stuff is pretty foreign to me so watching him get the the Presidential Medal of Freedom or whatever what didn't really mean much to me now I understand that Rush Limbaugh means a lot to the conservatives who are in this space now the people like ben shapiro or the people like stephen crowder i get that that means a lot to them but i just don't have a an emotional attachment to rush limbaugh because i have never listened to him and i didn't grow up with any of that so i get that but you know i th- I thought it was cool that clearly meant a lot to him one thing that was interesting so there was also a soldier that was brought back home he was reunited with his family and a lot of people talked about how, what a great Uh, moment that how great optics and how emotional that was and I'm like that's pretty cool and I do get man I get teary-eyed watching that in tv commercials to be totally honest I don't I don't know why it just it just gets me it's hard not to feel emotional there but what the thing that got me from the state of the union is so Trump and maybe this is because I'm from the midwest right Uh, but he there's a I think it was you the KU med center or something like that that had managed to take care of this kid that was born at, like, 21 weeks, this preemie, she was, like, a pound or something like that, and the mom was there, and it was this great optics, and he uses that to, say, talk about late-term abortion and restrictions on abortion, and you see the mom, like, she's like, yeah, 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 shaking her fist in the air, like, she's all about it, and that got me, like, seeing this kid that was born less than a pound, and she's now, I think she was close to two, and that, that's one of the things that got me, really, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And that mom who experienced that and who was like, yes, you know, those are the voices that I feel like don't really get heard very much. You know, in the pro-choice movement, generally, there is, they ignore, they talk about women's rights, women's rights, but any woman who's not not for abortion gets ignored. Um, And so whenever that, that mom is like, yes, that's my kid, people talk about viability and all that other stuff, that's my kid, you know, I thought that would, for me, that was the most powerful thing there. Maybe that and the, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, that, that was the big deal to me. But honestly, the State of the Union is really good. Now, again, the optics weren't super great for, I think, the left. But all of this stuff, and, and this is one of the things I talked about last week, or not last week, on Sunday, is that pretty much anything that's happening right now that's kind of temporary, so State of the Union is one thing, I think that the impeachment is kind of another thing, to be totally honest, because of how our news cycle just goes like this, right? We are, so it's 2020, we are like barely two months, not even two months into 2020, and it feels like we are approximately 11 and a half years into 2020. So the news cycle moves super fast, so I'm not sure this stuff matters as much, but it's important to give credit where credit's due. So the State of the Union is good. Now, Trump went and gave a bonkers presser two days later where he just went out guns blazing. One of the things I had said, I posted it either on Rubin's site or on Twitter, is I said, I I don't know, it was before the State of the Union. I said, I don't know if he'll do this tonight. I don't think he will. But I said, the next non-teleprompter Trump will be the Trumpiest Trump that has ever Trumped. And that's exactly what happened at that prayer breakfast and then at that presser he did. So, you know, it's two steps forward, two steps back. But you get to float on the economy and all that stuff. So, anyway, it was a good State of the Union. It wasn't great optics for the right or for the left because the whole story was about, you know, Trump being petty and Pelosi being petty and then no one standing and clapping. And that was one of the things that pissed me off that I was talking about last week is, like, can we really not clap for Tuskegee Airmen? Like, really? Like, come on, man. Like, we have to... You know, the one thing I noticed Nancy Pelosi clapped for was the killing of Soleimani, which was interesting. Um, you know, no one really talked about that, but that was the only thing I saw her clapping for. But anyway, okay. So that was the state of the union. It was good, but it's not going to matter. It could have been horrible, and it's not going to matter. All of it's priced in. And basically, the election is going to come down to a few things and then basically anything that happens within like maybe the 6 weeks leading up to it because that's where we're at right now. So, let's get to the primaries. We'll talk about where the Democratic primaries are with the specific candidates and the Iowa dumpster fire. And just kind of what I'm looking for. I I don't really want to spend too much time on some of the minutia that I have here, um, but we'll talk about the candidates that are in it that matter. So, uh, Bernie Sanders. We'll talk about Bernie Sanders. He's kind of the front runner right now. He was the one that I saw in Huffington Post is running the thing today about Bernie's the official front runner and all the other stuff. So for those of you who don't know uh, Iowa was a bit of a disaster, the, I saw that the Iowa, the chairman of the Iowa DNC uh, resigned today, and rightfully so, because that was garbage, but that's also, that's also one of the things no one's gonna remember, no one's gonna remember the fact that the Iowa caucuses were a disaster, no one even remembers that right now, right, New Hampshire was good, so it's fine, unless Nevada is also bad, and South Carolina is also bad, you know what I mean, so it's the first one, it was a disaster. It's okay, though. It was the first one. No one's going to remember that, right? So I don't think it's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouth, in other words. Uh, but anyway, so Bernie Sanders, he came out on top narrowly in Iowa, but it was like a couple days later, so he didn't have a lot of momentum. Going into New Hampshire, he won New Hampshire, and so he's kind of on top right now in terms of delegates. Him and Pete Buttigieg both have the most. A couple things about Bernie Sanders, though. So people think he's a frontrunner. Um, yeah, I might as well talk about it right now since he's kind of the guy on top. So here's the argument for Bernie Sanders being the front runner. Here's the argument for him not. Before Andrew Yang dropped out, I would have said that Bernie Sanders is not going to be the he's not going to be the nominee. Okay, I would have said there's no chance he's not going to do well in any of the southern states. Super Tuesday, you know, he might do okay, but the establishment is just too against him, and it's obvious. If, if you're watching the news, if you're paying attention to even half of this thing, even a quarter, you it's obvious that the establishment is, is against Bernie. And they were in 2016 also, right? So this isn't new. This isn't like new news. And that, and I've talked about that before. That was one of the things that really turned me off to the, the Democratic Party was that I was a Bernie guy uh, initially, and I saw what they were doing. Uh, so anyway, so – but here – Here's the argument for. So the argument for is Andrew Yang dropped out. And I think that Andrew Yang supporters are going to, by and large, back Bernie. Why? Uh, first off, they did in Iowa, right? So in any of the counties where they didn't hit 15%, people have to decide who they're going to go and give their de- their support to. And in Iowa, the Yang guys, so Yang did terrible in Iowa. And he did bad in New Hampshire, too. That's why he dropped out. Um, they went and got behind Bernie. And there's an underlying ethos here where, you know, the main appeal to Yang, other than that he seems like a nice guy, which I think he does, by the way. I think Andrew Yang is an incredibly likable person, at least from what I've seen. Um, But is the UBI. And UBI is this, you know, the government's going to solve the problem of automation. Of course, without Andrew Yang, no one's looking around going, oh, man, this automation's coming to get us, guys. So this is a problem we haven't really seen manifest, but, you know, whatever. But either way, there's an ethos there of the government has to solve the problem. And so if you've already bought into that mindset, it's not a huge leap at all to be behind Bernie Sanders, who is he's a socialist. He believes the government is going to solve those problems. So I'm not putting a moral judgment on that. I disagree. But just categorically, if you think that the government needs to solve automation, then you're going to think the government also needs to solve these other problems. That's Bernie Sanders is your guy. So that's why I think that. The other thing is that Warren is bleeding support and good riddance to her. Man, I'll get to her in a second. Gosh, I'm, she is so terrible. But anyway, but so I think there's a decent amount of Warren supporters that are going to go be, behind Bernie. Now, not very many because of the, the all sexism thing and there's some establishment that was supporting Warren also. But I think that Bernie's going to continue to pick up support. Now, one thing that he's had across the board for years is about 25%. About, and that's what we saw in Iowa and New Hampshire is about 25%. So if there is some coalescence behind one centrist, one moderate candidate on the other side, he's done. And the other reason what the other case against is the establishment is going to be like, no, 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 And they're going to be working against him also. So the case against a Bernie Sanders presidency won't win, won't excite enough Democrats in a general election in the primary, the establishment is working against him and if there is any consolidation behind a moderate, then he's gone. The case four is the fact that the moderates will remain fractured, probably, and there's a decent chance that if he goes in with enough uh, plurality or whatever, um, that that he into the convention that he might end up having to get the nomination. But I, I don't think he will. Uh, so that's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Good written to her. She, I'm not sure that I have felt a more visceral dislike of a candidate as they've progressed as I have of Elizabeth Warren because of how disingenuous. I think the icing on the cake was the stuff with Bernie Sanders. I went back and listened to some of my old uh, podcasts from in August, September, and one of the things that I said then was Bernie needs to draw first blood on Warren because she will strike on him. And, it, and he'll, it'll be a mistake if he doesn't do that first. I was right about half of that. the the, wrong, the part I was wrong about was that it'll hurt him if he doesn't strike first. Part I was right about is that she was going to strike first, and it just it hurt her. And I think that was that was the the final straw for me. Not like I really liked her, but that whole oh Bernie said that a woman couldn't be president. It's like. Go f yourself with that crap. It's a it's a complete dishonest ploy. She'd have said it before if that was true, and then Abby Phillip of CNN parroting that all of that just stunk. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's tanked. I mean, she was starting to decline anyway. Because I mean, this is this is the thing is that there's an old saying that, and that's that truth truth bats last. And Elizabeth Warren is such a dishonest candidate. She is so incredibly dishonest and that the truth bats last, and the truth eventually comes to the surface. And even if it doesn't come to the surface, the idea that there's something here that's off, there's something here that's just a little bit, I think that maybe she's she's not something's not quite right, that's gonna come to the surface first maybe. And that's what happened with Warren, and that's why she's tanked, and that's why she's gone, and go, I'm glad. She hasn't dropped out, she's not going to for a while, but she's gonna continue to decline. So the question is, Where will her support go? So very little of it, I think, will go behind Bernie just because of the kind of the bad blood between their supporters. So there's a good chance her support is going to go to moderate candidates. And we've seen that, right? Buttigieg rising, Klobuchar rising. So I think that's where her supporters are going to go. They're not going to go very much to Bernie and they're not going to go to Biden, I don't think, maybe a little bit, but he's going down, right? So. Probably not too much, but she's not doing good, and good riddance to her. So judge, so here's where he's at. So the guy has done pretty decent, right? And there is a good argument that he could be the nominee. Now, the argument against is that he's not going to get support from minorities, and, I, by the way, I don't think that's a sufficient argument. I think it's correct factually, but I don't like it, and it's reductive, and it assumes kind of what I think is pretty racist is that every person who's, you know, if you are not white, then you have to vote Democrat. I mean, that's the argument that Candace Owens makes is, she's like, I just say that black people don't have to be Democrats. Um, Now, she says more than that, and sometimes she's fairly inflammatory, but I think generally her message is fairly on point. But either way, but Buttigieg doesn't have that. The other aspect is, I'm just not sure he's super popular. He comes across as fairly disingenuous as well. You know, there's the SNL, they had uh, their post- a New Hampshire debate thing and the guy who played him, I forgot what his name is, he does the Weekend Update, I think he's dating Scarlett Johansson, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But anyway, but he plays Pete Buttigieg and he's like uh, hashtag white Obama, please make that trend, but not, i you know, not ironically, right? And that's the thing, is that people will say that he's clearly trying to mimic Obama but not in a good way. So I'm not sure that Pete Buttigieg is going to have a lot of momentum going forward. I think he'll pick up some. You know, some of the Again, that more elites or whatever. And, you know, he worked for, there's a piece in the Atlantic about um, how he worked for a company called McKinsey and how the m- McKinsey has hollowed out the m- middle class. And I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And I'd been reading a book called The Management Myth, which is a really good book. I highly recommend it by a guy named Matthew Stewart. And it's all about how, you know, uh, this idea of strategic management and planning, all this other stuff is a bunch of crap. Um, I'd gotten the, the, the book recommendation from Nassim Taleb mentioned it in anti-fragile anyway but Matthew Stewart talks really poorly about uh, McKinsey and, and management generally well Pete Buttigieg came from that so of course he's he's not going to be very appealing so he'll, he'll appeal to some of those elites the type of people that'd be interested in management uh, firms strategic management but other than that not much so Uh, We'll get to what I think about him going forward, but generally speaking, I think that he might be in the top three or four, but nomination-wise, I'm not sure that he has what it takes to get people excited, to be honest, and that's what a lot of this is going to come down to, but I'll save that for last. Um, Okay, Uh, Amy Klobuchar. So one thing about Amy Klobuchar that I think is worth mentioning is, well, there's a couple things. First off, whenever they had their last debate in New Hampshire, one of the questions uh, was, are any of you concerned about there being a Democrat, or a Democratic Socialist at the top of the ticket? You know, implying if Bernie Sanders got the nomination, the only person that raised their hand, and by the way, uh, she was very nervous about it, was Amy Klobuchar, and I think that's pretty telling. But it's also cool that she did that. And I've said for a while that Amy Klobuchar is probably the the most mod. She's the only real moderate, not as much, but the most moderate. In this race, and probably the most electable, uh, as a result of that. Now, and again, in SNL's um, skit that they did on Saturday after the New Hampshire debate, so Rachel Dratch plays her, and she was like, "Why am I not doing better?" You know, and it's true. It's true. You know, I think that SNL. There's a couple proxies you can see for where the Democratic establishment is, and one of them. Uh, maybe not the establishment, but where maybe Democrats generally are, is SNL. That's one of them. And it's funny, watching Kate McKinnon play Elizabeth Warren, her enthusiasm for playing that role has plummeted over the last couple months. And for good reason, right? Because Elizabeth Warren has plummeted in, in popularity. But whenever Rachel Dratch is like, why am I not doing better? The SNL writers wrote that line. They mean that. That's all. That's a room full of Democrats. And they're saying, why is Amy Klobuchar not doing better? Well... She is doing better now. She got third in New Hampshire. She, going forward, she's got a decent amount of delegates. She could do good in New Hampshire, or sorry, not New Hampshire, in Nevada, and in South Carolina. Amy Klobuchar is still a zero percent of the black vote. Um, I'm not sure that that ruins her as much as a lot of people think it does. But either way, she's one who I think will continue to absorb some of the Elizabeth Warren people because, again, think about this—you know, intersectionality, all that stuff—is a big. Priority in the Democratic Party, as Elizabeth Warren tanks, people are going to want. You know, we need an intersectional candidate. Amy Klobuchar will be that the last one remaining. She just will be once Elizabeth Warren is out, or Amy Klobuchar is out, and Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren is not going to get the nomination. But either way, once one of them is out, if it's if Amy Klobuchar goes out first, which I don't think she will, then no one's going to rally behind Elizabeth Warren, and then you've lost the progressives. And if Elizabeth Warren goes out, then you're going to see a surge behind Amy Klobuchar because it's going to be like, oh, hey, here's an infinitely better version of Hillary Clinton, which I believe so. I I like Amy Klobuchar. She seems pretty decent, Um, which is, again, why I've said since August that she was the the most electable one there. Anyway, so Tom Steyer, I don't know why he's still in here. We're going to just skip that because no one cares about Tom Steyer. Uh, Andrew Yang, he's out. Uh, Michael Bloomberg. So he's an interesting candidate. Now, I think people are getting more excited than makes any sense about Michael Bloomberg. I've heard both people on the left and on the right say, Michael Bloomberg is kind of the dark horse candidate. You know, he, he'll come out of nowhere. People are banking on Michael Bloomberg. Now, here's why that is garbage and why that's not going to work. And it's it's just not. And I don't understand why... This, isn't, this is one of those things where I'm like, am I losing my mind? Do I not know what I'm talking about here? Um, so you can tell me if you think I'm way off. Michael Bloomberg is super rich. So think about how many people have supported Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders collectively, right? It's a pretty large percentage of the vote. These are the same two candidates who have said, we're, we're against the billionaire class. No one should be able to buy elections. Elizabeth Warren talking about wine caves and all this other stuff. Okay, so... That's Michael Bloomberg. They're talking about Michael Bloomberg and corporate America and blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. All right. If Michael Bloomberg gets the nomination, let's say for whatever, you know, run the gauntlet. Okay, skip, fast forward. Michael Bloomberg gets the nomination. So this is the guy who the progressive candidates have said, no one should be able to buy the nomination. You know, that we're fighting corruption. We're fighting the, bill- the billionaire class. This is a million... You know, Bernie Sanders started out with millionaires and billionaires, and now it's billionaires, but, you know, whatever. So, the billionaires should not be able to, to buy the election. They have to pay their fair share. All right, you're going to tell me that the progressives, let's say they haven't burnt down whatever things are around them because Bernie didn't get the nomination. You think the progressives are going to coalesce around Michael Bloomberg, the dude that has spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars on campaign ads you think he's gonna get the progressive vote absolutely not absolutely not so he might I mean the dude is polling third right now in the real clear politics national average okay he's at 14% he's pulling third but if you think that progressives are gonna rally around to him you're out of your mind <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna drink some whiskey to that so anyway Michael Bloomberg I think is interesting but I don't think people are thinking about the philosophical reasons why people vote. Even if he gets the nomination, no progressives are going to rally around him. So I think it's absolutely silly. So here's what I think going forward, and uh, you know, we'll, I'll tell you about what what I'm looking for, what I'm thinking about, and then we'll end it there. This is my birthday, and uh, and this is boring. Anyway. Uh, I appreciate you watching. I'm just saying, it's what I said last Sunday, politics, all this surface level stuff is, um, I realize that I think we're probably spending too much time on it instead of talking about the underlying social reasons why certain candidates are popular, certain candidates aren't. So, Nevada is on the 22nd, 10 days from now. South Carolina is on the 27th, 15 days from now. Super Tuesday is March 3rd. So that's a couple weeks. So, Here's what to think about going forward. So you get to the convention. So here's the way the Democrat, the, the primaries, caucuses, all that works. And so what you've seen is that people get decent, uh, they get certain amounts of delegates. So in the Republican primaries and stuff, they, it's whoever gets the most out of the state. They walk away with all of the delegates. But with the Democratic ones, it's not, it's not, as much, it's not that. So that's why you get in uh, Iowa, for example... You know, Bernie gets this many, Pete gets this many, Elizabeth Warren, Biden, and, you know, Amy Klobuchar leaves Iowa with one delegate, right? So that's how that works out. Now, if they get to their convention and when they when they pick their nominee and no one has over half the delegates, then now the, the, you have what's called a brokered convention. And they have to vote. You have the superdelegates that come into play. It's it's complete mess. And you have a vote. Now, that's a fractured, crazy scenario for the Democrats, but it's not even remotely unreasonable. So here's why. Joe Biden still has a decent amount of support in the black community. He's riding on the stuff with Obama. I'm not sure how resilient that is. We'll find out in South Carolina. Okay, we'll find out in South Carolina on the 27th. 15 days. We can wait that long. Um, Nevada also has a decent minority population, but a lot of it's Hispanic as well. So I'm not sure Nevada is going to be a big litmus test for us. So the people that are super stoked about Klobuchar and Buttigieg and all that stuff, they're not going to do super well in South Carolina. I don't think. Okay, I don't think so. But, you know, again, we'll see. Regardless, you have a scenario where, so Warren's going to continue to recede. I'm just saying it right now. She's, she's, Warren will not go up from here. Okay, I'm calling that right now. Warren's not going to go up from here. Now, here are the ones that could go up. Biden, maybe. And that's, that's if he keeps the vote of, of minorities, basically. Okay, Biden could go up. Bernie will probably go up. Klobuchar will probably go up. Buttigieg will probably cl- go up. Now, Bernie Sanders, again, is going to keep that probably 25, 30%. That might be enough to get him over the over the edge. If, for whatever reason, the DNC or the kingmakers, as Scott Adams has said, um, you know, tell these people to get their crap together and figure something out, then it'll be done and whoever they pick will be the, the nominee. But there's a good chance that going into... Here, fast forward, right? TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Fast forward to the convention, there's a good chance you go in with Biden, Klobuchar, Buttigieg and Sanders with a decent amount of votes, and now you have a three- to four-way tie. I'm not expecting Bloomberg to get that. Like I, for He's not going to get any progressive votes. Zero, zero, zero progressive votes are going to go to Michael Bloomberg. Again, calling it right now. So going into that convention, you have a three- to four-way tie. That means that the party is going to continue to fracture out. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, and by that I mean about 30 seconds. This is what I've been saying from the beginning. What have I said for months now, right? If you've been watching me, one, thank you. Two, is that talking about healthcare and talking about all this other stuff and da 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 da, is irrelevant when it comes to the Democratic primaries because the main issue is the the far left and the centrists. That's it. The Bernie Sanders, AOC wing and the Pelosi, Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar wing that. Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden have more in common with Donald Trump than and Mitch McConnell than they do with AOC and Bernie Sanders. That is just a fact. So until that's solved, which who knows who's going to win? There's a really interesting article I read today that said it's time is up on the Democratic establishment. You know that I've likened this before to Hydra. In the first Captain America movie, Hydra kind of metastasized under the Third Reich, and then they eventually grew out of it. And they were like, yeah, you're just as much of an enemy as anyone else. We just, you know, kind of siphoned off your power until we could do our own thing. We have our own agenda. That's what the far left's uh, movement has done inside the Democratic Party. Anyway, so if they go into the convention and none of that has been figured out, then you're having a three, three to four way tie. And they're and the kingmakers, the the super delegates, which are the ones who, even in states where Bernie Sanders won last time in 2016, he he didn't get all the he didn't get the delegates. They gave him to Hillary Clinton because of those super super delegates. Um, so they'll decide and they'll and they'll give it to you know a, the centrist candidate, and they'll lose the progressives, and they'll lose in 2020. They'll lo- or this year, right? Can you believe it's 2020? Anyway. So that so that's those are, that's one scenario. Here's the things I'm looking for. Okay, so here's why I think these you know some of this predictions about these candidates, and this is one of the things I said Sunday. These candidates, because how like no one's that enthusiastic about these candidates. People were enthusiastic about Yang. People the one except the one exception is Sanders, but he's not gaining converts, nor will he. Bernie Sanders is not going to gain converts. Either you've been on board from the beginning, or you're probably not. Now, he might gain people that support him, that vote for him, but he's not going to gain as many. Of course, there'll be some, right? But I'm talking about a huge amount. Um, People aren't that excited about these candidates. So, that means that it's going to come down to some factors other than these candidates. So, here's what I'm looking for. All right, we'll close it here. I'm looking for black swans. So Nassim Taleb, black swan, anti-fragile, talking about the unknown unknowns. And one of the things he says is it's not about probability, it's about exposure to risk, right? So um, an example of that would be TSA does not think that every person getting on an airplane is a terrorist, but they don't think it's a high probability. But the exposure to risk is high enough that they check everyone, right? So... I'm thinking about what is the exposure to risk right now. So I see people, you know, tweeting out things seem really good. The economy is good. The state of the union is good. All this, other, all this other stuff. You know, Trump was acquitted. No impeachment. Things are good. I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. I agree with that. But that doesn't mean anything in this news cycle. Okay, it does not mean anything. Nothing happening right now, good or bad, is really going to matter come November. Um, so I'm looking for black swans, the unknown unknowns, all right? So, and the other part of that is, I don't know if you guys have seen World War Z. One of the parts of that movie is Brad Pitt goes down to Jerusalem, and it turns out they built a wall before any of the zombie outbreak happened. And the, the reason they did that is because there was a guy on their Knesset, it was the 10th man rule. And the 10th man was the one who, if the other nine got a piece of evidence, and they said, they all came to the same conclusion... The 10th man, his job was to make the case in the other direction. So they weren't caught off guard. So I feel a little bit like the 10th man. And uh, I'm not sure that the zombie scenario is super likely here, obviously. But I feel a little bit like that. So, But either way, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for what would falsify the idea. Because I've seen so many people, and especially centrists and libertarians right now, saying that Trump's going to win in a landslide. Yeah, I don't think that's true. And I think it's naive to think that. The other part of that is, you know, there's a lot of Democrats that thought that in 2016. I was one of them. I've talked before about how hammered I got on election night um, because I didn't see it coming. Most people didn't. So for people on the right or in the middle or whatever right now to go, oh, man, this is this. is We got this in the bag. It's like, well, there's a lot of people thought that in 2016, guys. So maybe don't get so confident. So I'm looking for what other things that might change that. So what are the black swans? So... Some type of controversy, scandal, whatever, that's in there. The one, so the, the one candidate that could be a black swan is Amy Klobuchar. The reason I say that is people, a lot of people say, well, it's about being on the debate stage with Trump and being able to, to make that work and look pretty strong there. Amy Klobuchar, she strikes me as a, a, a relatable, she's kind of a dork, right? But the one controversy against her is that she allegedly threw binders at staff members and is kind of mean. I think that mean would serve her well on the debate stage with Donald Trump. In other words, she would have a very low threshold of appearing to hold her own against President Trump in debates, and so I think that would serve her well. So she would be a black swan. Now, I don't think she'll get the nomination necessarily right now. I wouldn't put her as above 50%, but... I think she's in the top three or four. If she does get it, that's a scary ticket for Donald Trump. Here's the other thing. Uh, VP nomination. I don't know why no one's talking about this again. This is one of the things where I'm like, okay, if we're talking about how weak these candidates are, it's a ticket. Think about how Sarah Palin was a joke for years and years and years uh, on SNL and elsewhere. And she was a vice president nomination. So, Tina Fey played a great Sarah Palin, and VPs matter. Tickets matter. And when you have a fractured party, like the Democrats are right now, they have to find a way to cater to the left and to the center. So they have to pay lip service. Really, it really is what it is. And I think that the progressives are increasingly catching on to this. But they have to pay lip service to the progressives, while at the same time, uh, appeasing the center and getting them motivated. So I think VP noms are going to be the one that's most important here. Now, whenever it comes to Bernie Sanders, if he does not get the nomination, his supporters are done. They are going to riot. They're, they're, they're going to be done. Okay. Because he's had a pretty ardent support. He's had a pretty ardent, um, base. He's had a pretty ardent, are really just zealous and enthusiastic support base. For the last several years, right, and he got cheated in 2016. And those that have stuck by him, you know, are like, "This is our time." So, anyway, I don't know what VP nom he could get because he's not going to make anyone happy. No one's going to want a, a President Sanders. So he's kind of an anomaly there. Um, but a Pete Buttigieg, a Joe Biden, or a Amy Klobuchar, they will need a very woke VP nom in order to to rally the progressives now the progressives are going to coalesce around biden or not biden around sanders and if sanders doesn't get the nomination again that's what i'm saying that's catch-22 is they're not going to show up and i think that includes the yang gang uh i've seen people say in the last couple weeks leading up to this where yang dropped out that uh biden uh, not Biden, gosh bernie supporters are the worst on twitter and the ones who were vying for second place were Andrew Yang supporters up until that point. Now, I hated the fact that that was becoming true because most Andrew Yang supporters I encounter have been pretty nice. But over the past month or so, they got pretty virulent in terms of their the way they were just like very zealous about Andrew Yang. Which is a bummer, again, because I like him and most times I've had good interaction with his supporters. Uh, but I think that that zealotry again, is going to work against them if their guy doesn't get the nomination. Um, So anyway, that's what I'm looking for, is what are the black swans that could make things not seem good right now, right? And what will, what are the the things, here's the last thing I'll say. I watched a, it was, I think it was the debate right before Iowa. So Dave Rubin's interviewing, he's talking to Bridget Potassi, She's awesome, or Bridget Phetasy. Uh She's the one who I did, uh, when I talked about why I'm not a Democrat, I read her article. She talks about default settings and uh, how she's been a lifelong Democrat and she feels left behind by the Democratic Party. Now, Dave Rubin's interviewing her and he's talking, are you thinking about voting Trump? And she says, I just couldn't bring myself to vote for Donald Trump. I just couldn't do it. And I understand that. That makes sense to me. Um, so, but she was what I would call maybe an apathetic Democrat. Voter turnout's been pretty low so far. Of course, we only have two uh, elections to judge it based on, but Iowa, New Hampshire, voter turnout's pretty low. So that means there are de- there's a decent amount of apathetic Democrats at home. So I'm wondering what will take, what will it take for those people who are like, I will not vote for Donald Trump, but I might just stay home or write in my dog's name or something, Right. What will it take for those people who are apathetic to become activated? To get excited enough to go and vote? What in other words, what will get the Bridget f- Fedecies out there excited enough to go and vote? That's what I'm looking for. That's those what are the black swans that will activate those people? So I don't I really don't know. I don't know, but that's what I'm saying is that's what I think we need to be looking for and asking the question of what what will happen if, if we're in the business of making predictions. Uh, which I'm on the fence about, but anyway, if you have thoughts on what that could be, let me know. Um, and again, let me know if you're excited, if you are enthusiastic about anything. What are you excited about? What are you enthusiastic about? How do you read these results right now? Uh, will Amy Klobuchar make a start to see some big increases, or is she done? Is it just kind of going to be burning no matter what? because Biden and Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Warren are just going to stick with it uh, because they're too stubborn to not, you know, let me know what you think. I don't know. I, I really don't. Those are just the things I'm thinking about right now. Black swans, what will activate the apathetic and the VP noms. I think especially if it was Biden or Bernie, VP nominations are more important than those nominations themselves because, the the thing is, is there's a lot of talk about, you know, the the black vote, right? And the minority vote and all this other stuff. What the left is failing to talk about, and explicitly, is the progressive vote. Is that if they nominate a uh, a moderate or someone who seems moderate, they need to work for the progressive vote. Otherwise, they will stay home. They will say, F you, you have screwed us two years or two elections in a row. No. No. You guys have, you guys can wallow in your own filth. I think there's a good chance that those progressives will have as much, if not more, hatred for the Democratic establishment than they will for Donald Trump and the Republican establishment. I just think that's true. And we've seen the fact that they are not against uh, turning the guns on their own party because of that. So th- those are the things I'm thinking about. Would love to hear what you guys' thoughts are. Next week, not next week. This coming Sunday. Goodness, it's it's Wednesday, right? So not not that long. I, I talked about culture. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. So that's what we're gonna do on Sunday. It's gonna be all about culture, cultural influences. Again, you know, maybe digging a little deeper into some of the stuff I was ranting about this past Sunday. Again, thank you for your patience. There, uh, we'll talk about the Oscars. I might. I told my wife, I'm like, man, I might even watch the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. We'll see. I'm not sure if there's enough whiskey in the world for that, but uh, but I might do it. Uh, I think it's worth talking about differentiating between uh, well-intentioned folks and those who are being manipulative and and piggybacking off of their influence. And how we got there? How did celebrities become? All of them have to have opinions now, and what you know? How do we get to where we are with that situation? So that, that's one of the things we're talking about Sunday. So. Anyway, tune in then. That'll be, I think, the 19th, I guess. Something like, not the 19th. It can't be the 19th. Um, It'll be, uh, shoot, I don't know. Uh, The uh, 16th, I think, 16th. Uh, So anyway, that's what we'll talk about this coming Sunday. Thank you. If this is the type of thing you're interested in, please like, share, subscribe. That's it, Return to Reason on YouTube, on Spotify, Return to Reason. I think my stuff's going to be on Stitcher now uh, as well and Apple Podcasts. So again, please uh, share there, subscribe there, and if it's not something you're interested in, if you think this sucks, if you think I'm just uh, completely off off base, subscribe and share so that you can say, "Look at this moron, this Chiefs fan," and and leave me some feedback. Let me know where you think I missed the mark. If you think I'm right, let me know that too. I'm always open to that. I, I want to be, you know, someone who's dynamic and and constantly I'll be willing to change my views on stuff. And open to new information. I think that's one of the things that we see now that is really dividing us. Is people are they want to double and triple down on positions instead of, cha- you know, being open to new information and new evidence. So I, I try to be that. So if you think I missed anything, let me know. If you think I'm being unfair, let me know. Uh, either way, that's it for right now. I will see you guys on Sunday again. Go Chiefs and everything's awesome happy birthday to me and i will see you then all right check you later